Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to this special edition of the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. The Green Nonprofit Show. You know going green is the right thing to do for the environment and your organization. But budgets are tight and knowing how to get started can be a mystery. This show provides the practical advice on going green you and your colleagues need. While each week the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart Radio Show provides advice on fundraising, board development, and social media, this special edition is all about helping you go green on a nonprofit budget. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, this show draws from experts around the world and his book, The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green, available on Amazon.com and at GreenNonprofits.org. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show, are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofits. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. Remember, just like our weekly show, this is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of the nonprofit coach, The Green Show, Ted Hart. And welcome to this very special edition of the Nonprofit Coach. This is Friday, October 21st, and I'm coming to you live uh, from the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. For those of you who are familiar with our regular Nonprofit Coach show, this works very much the same way. Uh, you can call in. You'll be able to ask questions of our very special page two expert when we get to page two right after our page one news. You can also join us over in the chat room. You can ask questions there. Uh, or, as always, you can also email me your questions at Ted heart at tedhart.com as always here on the nonprofit coach including now on the green show we start with page one news Here on page one news, you can uh, join us at greennonprofits.org. Click on the resources button where you will find the link to resources from the web. Those of you who have us bookmarked at tedhart.com, these links are always also available at radio links at tedhart.com. So here on the Green Show, you can follow along from either location. First up here on page one news comes to us from Fundraising Success Magazine, where we'd like to introduce you to Jennifer Marispace, who is the Executive Director of the Northeast Sustainable Energy Association. They've done an interview with Jennifer, providing you with insight information into this organization, which is the nation's leading regional membership organization, focused on promoting the understanding, development, and adoption of energy conservation and non-polluting renewable energy technologies. This is NESEA, which is the Northeast Sustainable Energy Association. Check out the interview from Fundraising Success Magazine over in the radio links, which you'll find at tedhart.com and under resources at greennonprofits.org. Next up here on page one news, uh, Bravo and drawing attention to uh, the nonprofit biodiesel distributor uh, known as the Energy Cooperative. The Energy Cooperative has just delivered the 10 millionth gallon of biodiesel blend, uh, and they have uh, provided that to the Craft Bus Company. This is a successful nonprofit organization, the Energy Co-op Biodiesel Distribution Program. 
program delivered its first gallon of biodiesel blends uh, to the Great Valley in uh, uh, Pennsylvania uh, with, in 2006. Uh, so very pleased to draw attention uh, to this very important organization uh, that is doing a great job uh, in as a nonprofit organization providing direct green services uh, to the for-profit and nonprofit sector. Next up here on page one news, uh, you will find a, a wonderful article about another green nonprofit. We're very happy to draw attention to uh, the, uh, this organization in the Sacramento area known as the Sacramento YOLO Mutual Housing Association, which is a regional nonprofit that develops housing for low-income individuals. And they have just completed their first Build It Green certified multifamily development in the North Highlands area of Sacramento. So bravo to another green nonprofit doing excellent job in providing sustainability ability uh, to their communities. Just to remind you as uh, we prepare for our page two expert today, our page two expert is Georgia Malkey. Uh, she will be joining us in just a few moments, so prepare to call in and ask your questions at 347-324-3080. Now, make sure that you press the number one to let me know that you'd like to ask a question because it's also uh, uh, very uh, acceptable for you to just call in and listen to the show uh, through your phone if you would like to do that as we are broadcasting via the Internet around the world. Next up here on page one news uh, uh, comes uh, – an article from the Nashville Business Journal. Thank you for sending this along. Nashville Business Journal is letting us know that Nissan has donated money to a new green nonprofit organization. They have donated $100,000 to the Urban Green Lab, a new East Nashville nonprofit designed to focus educational efforts on environmental and sustainability issues. In addition, Nissan promises to match gifts up to $100,000 and will provide an additional $175,000 to the lab over the next three years. And this is uh, reported, again, through the Nashville Business Journal. And you can read all about it and provide all the information available uh, from Green Urban Green Lab and their president, Dan Heller. Uh, so uh, congratulations on that gift, and thank you to Nissan in supporting the green nonprofit Movement. We also always want to draw our attention to our partner on the Green Show, which is the Green Nonprofits Organization, found at greennonprofits.org. In a few moments, as we get into the page two uh, expert of the show today, uh, keep in mind that we also will be giving away a copy of the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. Uh, each month, as we have the Green Show, uh, you are able to uh, uh, send in uh, your name for or possible a drawing of a free book. We have a number of people who did enter the drawing this month. Make sure that you're signing up for the newsletter available at greennonprofits.org so that you get notification on how you might be able to win a free copy of the Nonprofit Guide uh, to Going Green. Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show, uh, is our page two expert. Moving right on to page two. My pleasure to welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Georgia Malkey, who is the co-founder, partner, and president of Seven Star, green experts in the event industry. Our topic today is green nonprofit events and preparing for holiday events to be green as well. Ms. Malkey has over 20 years of event planning and marketing experience. Born in Madrid, Spain, which I was just visiting Madrid last month, uh, Ms. Malkey uh, was educated at California State University. She earned her bachelor's in public administration and has done graduate work for uh, a master's in art education. Uh, and she is a contributor to our reference guide here on The Green Show, known as the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. Welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, Joja. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. Georgia, it's great to have you here on the show. And, of course, once a month, the Nonprofit Coach has this special monthly magazine where we have the opportunity to learn from experts like you 
as nonprofit organizations wanting those practical tips on how they can go green. Now, Georgia, over in the radio links, as you uh, heard, we always provide the latest news in nonprofit green. Uh, we have provided a link directly to your website, 7starevents.com. So why don't we start off, Georgia, by giving us a little bit of information about the mission and the work of Green Star. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, Seven Star has, since 1999, been dedicated to environmental and socially just events across the country, and we've been very honored that Green Festival has been one of them. Um, we've been producing Green Festival, an event, a consumer event that brings together a marketplace, an incredible educational platform that helps people, consumers, make extraordinary positive choices to further not only a healthy lifestyle but a more sustainable lifestyle, whether it's in their profession, their homes, uh, at their offices, uh, their personal lives. And, um, you know, as an event, uh, we, we work very hard on incorporating and interlacing all the components of what we call a green event into that festival and we do that with all of our customers, and uh, we're very excited. We're going to be in Los Angeles next weekend, and then uh, in on November the uh, 13th and 14th in San Francisco for our 10 years of Green Festival. So uh, that, that's yeah. Now let's um, for those who may be not quite familiar with what the Green Festival is, um, could you give us a little bit of a background on the mission of the Green Festival? Uh, and uh, it's been growing tremendously. Uh, for a number of years, so give us an idea of why. Well, I think uh, Green Festival does two things. First of all, uh, it is the most unique uh, touring event in, in the United States because it is based on true mission. This is a mission-driven event. Uh, the two nonprofits that, that are the executive producers, Green America and Global Exchange, have infused a, uh, um, a philosophy and a mission that is about building this event from the ground up. So the local host committee and local people actually craft the program and bring to this event the things that are most important to the community, whether it's social justice issues that have to do with immigration in Los Angeles or in San Francisco. It may have to do with how to take care of, of underserved communities or looking at human trafficking, very, very controversial and important subjects to uh, consumers. And on the flip side, exciting and fun things like, you know, how do you start your own composting if you're living in an urban area? You know, what can I do to be more sustainable by growing my own food if I just am living in a small apartment with an outdoor terrace or I have a, I'm living in the suburbs? What do, I, what do I do to start that larger organic garden? All the way to subjects that are more globally related like fair trade. So we bring together every industry, every sector of the economy, and every part that relates to people's lives all under one roof so that together consumers can meet the regional experts. They can also be in touch and listen to some of the national visionaries, the people who have been out there, much like you, Ted, working to create a more sustainable world. The Amy Goodmans, the David Cortons, um, you know, the uh, John Perkins, uh, people whom have uh, created a, a tremendous leadership and thought uh for the American public. So everything from visionary to get down and get dirty and figure out how do I how do I grow the best quality tomatoes is all under the roof of Green Festival. Hello? Oh boy! I think this just dropped this call. No, I'm I'm still here, oh. Georgia, and I can hear you. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, okay, can you hear me? I can now. Okay, terrific. I was just saying, from what you just outlined, and we were able to hear everything that you just said. Um, it sounds like, from your perspective, there is something that everybody can do to support the environment. It's a space that you might command. Um, 
I, I missed the last part. I'm sorry. For some reason, the t- call somewhat dropped. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I apologize for that. Can you hear me all right now? I can. Thank you. Okay. I, I was just, uh, again, I was just saying that uh, based on what you had just said, it sounds like you feel that there is something that everybody can do uh, to support the environment, regardless of size of budget or space that they command. Absolutely. I And, you know, we in this space of sustainability have all been very aware that the issue of cost for families, especially in today's economy, has been a crucial one. And, um, you know, holistically, I think all of us need to look at the balance between the cost of health care and the cost of consuming organic products that we know can really affect the quality um, of of what occurs for us physically, um, identifying solvents and cleaners, uh, whether we're uh, in an office and we need to professionally use these or we're in our home, there are some uh, higher costs that we as Americans face when we sometimes choose to be um, making difference between that really inexpensive but very caustic high VOC cleanser uh, versus the uh, biodegradable, no VOC uh, choice option that we have in our supermarkets or um, or if we're buying uh, wholesale if we're a business. So whether we're producing an event or we're making decisions about our uh, personal lifestyle or going out and buying supplies for the office, um, yes, there's little things that, that are – uh, just a few dollars, and of course, there are major investments that certainly um, an individual can take. But oftentimes, it's the daily choices, it's the everyday decisions around food. I think uh, it's said that the average person makes about, in a given day, makes over a hundred decisions related to food. You know, what am I going to get? How much? When? Who? Uh, where? Um, those kinds of decisions, food decisions, sundries that we buy, whether or not we take the time to to figure out how to carpool with somebody, all of those decisions often have not as much of a cost, but take some effort and um, and some know-how, and that's and that's where uh, hopefully shows like this and books like the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. Uh, help people understand, as you said, you know, if you're making a, a hundred decisions uh, a day, um, you know, just changing a few of your behaviors uh, can add up over time and can really uh, make a difference. I, I don't know, George, if uh, you had an opportunity to hear the page one news today, um, but but what you were just saying sort of makes me think in terms of um, how we need to think beyond just those immediate decisions of I need to clean something and therefore I'm just going to go buy something to clean, but thinking down the road. And, and I'm, I'm specifically thinking of the energy cooperative that we shared in the uh, Page One News today, uh, which is a, a biodiesel blend organization. And one of the things in the and the link that people can read today is that one of the decisions that the school district that just purchased uh, a bunch of uh, fuel from them, the reason that they decided to go in that direction is that besides the environmental and economic benefits of using biodiesel, they had in mind the quality of air that the children are exposed to because of the buses that the school district drives. So that's really thinking a couple of steps down the road in terms of making those decisions. It's it's an interesting one because who who often uh, you know you don't often think about the fact that my goodness that's true children are being exposed twice a day to fumes not from one car not from the neighborhood but from a whole fleet that's around them so what a great what a great uh, vision to target that as as a decision maker and that way the kids are smelling something more uh, akin to french fries than toxic uh, uh, gasoline off burning so exactly and that's sort of what you were you were just starting to to talk about in terms of making those decisions because for a nonprofit organization in their office setting uh, there are a lot of chemicals that are used and decisions that are uh, uh, that they're making and that relates to events as well in in terms of so kind of you know turning the corner here on our topic today to talk about how uh, nonprofit holiday events and fundraising events rolling forward can be more green uh, those small decisions can add up to quality of the event as well right 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, how many times have we walked into an office or even gone into uh, a service location? You kind of uh, say, hey, can I get a cup of coffee? And you go back there, and what do they have? Styrofoam cups. And you're kind of like, oh, my God, they're still here. Styrofoam cups in today's world when there are so many fantastic options. And and you look at that sort of decision that uh, that actually the irony there's an opportunity for savings. So uh, offices to spend a little money in the long term to put in, for example, a small sink so that they can get away from disposables and have people have their own ceramic cup, their own um, plates there. Um, uh, my goodness, when you start to look at what that costs, compared to the expense of disposables over 360 days a year, uh, it, it makes sense. And not only that, you know, coffee from a styrofoam cup versus a porcelain cup, I think we can all agree we'd rather drink coffee from uh, a cup. And so when you look at the holidays and you look at sometimes that impulsive need to make things simpler, what, what in fact uh, is – when when you look at the full amount of energy that it takes to make uh, uh, a party, taking that little extra measure to say, do I really need to have disposables when I can just maybe spend a little bit more and not have to deal with a mountain of trash that can't be recycled? Or if I if there's no way around it, let me think about disposables that are going to have uh, that have a better life cycle story to them and and potentially either can be recycled or could, can be composted if I have that service around and, and available to me. Those little things are uh, make not only a difference to your impact and the footprint that you're doing, but just the quality of the event and the quality of 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 food and beverage food and beverage is you know and we, it seems like we're circling back to that um but it is one thing that touches so much of the waste stream that we generate whether it's a large scale trade show or it's our own home if we take a look at what our garbage looks like um vast majority of where we're generating the garbage has to do with F&B. So thinking about that and looking about how do I get away from the disposability of things? And if I am disposing something, how can I make sure that it doesn't end up in landfill, given that landfills are becoming a major issue across the United States? And Georgia, isn't part of it, uh, again, educating yourself and just being aware that there are alternatives I'm thinking of, you know, nonprofit organizations also being leaders in their communities that, you know, through their events, they do touch a lot of corporate executives and a lot of business people who come to these events. And if you're starting to set a standard in your community that you are using more sustainable products, that it's very evident when people come to your events um, that that you've thought through those, even, even if you're not a green organization, I mean, you would expect to see those sorts of things uh, with a green organization, but but if you're not, but that's evident in your event planning, you really start changing the thought pattern of a lot of people beyond your own organization. No question about it, and this is a market trend for both nonprofit and for-profit organizations. That this whole notion of take, make, and throw away. Uh, we is no longer sustainable, not only for those organizations, but in general for us as a country. And those resources are so precious to us. I mean, I, I think it, it, most people understand that the single-use water bottle is a serious problem in our country. It's a, it's a very expensive resource to create. That individual number one plastic 12-ounce or 16-ounce water bottles, and literally the moment the, the cap is screwed off and the contents are emptied, that that beautiful, very expensive thing now becomes part of, uh, even though you can recycle it, its recycled life will never be at the same quality that it was. It goes down to a number four, a number six. It never can be made into a quality virgin product like it first was. So the single <clears throat> the, the single one uh, most effective thing that uh, any individual or business organization, nonprofit organization can do is just say, we don't do that anymore. We want our 
people to be hydrated, but we're going to we're going to promote canteens. We're going to take advantage and have those canteens branded, which is a wonderful way to remind people of the place that they work and 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 the values at that workplace. But those kinds of one-time investments or policies that get set forward is is a wonderful um, way of contributing not only to the quality but to the community by saying, you know, we we are not going to contribute to that take, make, throw away. We're gonna we're gonna use something that has a, a life, a sustainable life here in our office. So single-use sor- single water bottles, uh, disposable cups, elimination of styrofoam. It can start out with this really simple, these are the 10 things we're committed to doing this year, ensuring that the paper that we have has a recycled content, whether it's paper for sanitary use in our bathrooms or paper for our office printers. You know, We're going to make a commitment to only purchasing I'm going to start with one item. And when we buy our coffee, we're going to make sure that it is fair trade and it's organic. When we buy those teas, it's going to be fair trade and organic. So you start out with those simple, small steps. You know, these 5, 10, 15 things, we're going to make a commitment. And within a year, it so, becomes so automatic for a business, for a nonprofit organization, that all of a sudden, to take the next 5, 10 steps, they're nothing. You know, it's yeah, part so it's of it. About, it's, it's about getting started and making a bit more of a habit of thinking through the, these processes. We're going to take uh, just a, a, provide a little bit of a reminder to our listeners uh, today. And, Georgia, when we come back, I wa- was wondering if you could share with our audience um, your notion of the triple bottom line in event planning uh, and why that's important for charities. We'll be right back. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And Georgia, we're uh, we're back uh, in in the uh, the book, the nonprofit guide to going green. Uh, you wrote a, an excellent uh, chapter, in fact, uh, chapter five, entitled "Green Events," uh, in which you share your concept of the triple bottom line in event planning. I was wondering if you could uh, share with our listeners what does that mean and how can they start incorporating that into their planning. Well, I think. Uh, the part of the question that everybody needs to be asking is what can we do and how can we shape our events to reduce any harmful impact on the natural resources while really creating an event that contributes positively to the local community as well as this home we call our global planet. And, And in order to ask that question, one needs to really make an assessment of their footprint and ask the questions related to four key pieces that every event has. It has it has product usage. So are the products that I'm using harmful? Are the products that I'm using recyclable, reusable? Can I upcycle them? Really kind of looking at what am I going to buy for this event and how can I make some different decisions about it? The second area that is common is the energy consumption. What are the ways that this event, you know, is my energy usage smart? Are there ways for me to reduce my carbon footprint? And the third is water, are, uh, becoming a, a huge issue globally and most importantly here throughout the United States. Is, again, my water usage smart? What can I do to ensure that if I'm hydrating people or if I need it to uh, use for landscaping because this is an outdoor event. How, how do I do it in such a way that I'm conserving this very precious resource? And then the final thing, of course, is the resources that get the, at the end of the event. What does my landfill look like? What what impact have I made in there? And what can I what can I divert away from that? That's either recycling, and that has to all of that has to be integrated in the overall operations, so that at the end of an event, if you backline it and you look at the whole process, from the moment that you pick a venue 
all the way to the questions you ask a venue manager, your caterer, your um, your your audiovisual vendors, etc. And when you go through that entire process, where you're constantly integrating these four critical categories of questions: product usage, energy, water, and landfill. Not only have you touched uh, and made an impact on these vendors, these venues, but at the end, you have a story to tell to your public and your community where you had the event, and you get an opportunity to leave that legacy. So you're blending this question of the triple bottom line, profit, people, is now blended with community, impact, education, and a small footprint. So the planet, the profit, and the people are part of that consideration. So four key categories. Drive those into your operational logistical planning by asking those questions over and over to each one, each vendor, each relationship that has a role in the party. And at the end, you'll find that not only are you going to have an extraordinary event, but you'll have a great story to say about your event, and you'll set a standard that people will be impressed. People will walk away and say, wow, that organization really cares. They care not only about the event, but the community. What more can we do than every uh, than to take advantage of leaving small legacies behind? It's a great gift. And, and Georgia, in in uh, in your chapter, as you you share the planet, profit, and people as a way, I, I gather to sort of organize people's thinking. Because you know, one of the things I'm sure we we don't want to have happen is for anyone listening today to feel overwhelmed. Well, gee, I'd like to do this, but I don't really know how. And so, breaking it down, it, it, the approach that I think you were suggesting is start small, take those baby steps, get in the habit. Don't try to go green overnight. Don't try to, you know, move all of the factors that you're talking about today. I, th- I think what you're trying to suggest is that there are lots of options. There is. And um, <clears throat> for people, I think uh, uh, the first place I suggest to start out, uh, especially because, Georgia, it's too complicated to think about energy consumption. I, I, I don't have the bandwidth that, the one place that touches everyone and the thing that has the most visibility is really around uh, your your policies and the efforts that you do around landfill diversion. So you can start out simply by saying, currently we're going we're gonna to try to select our products for this event that will minimize what ends up in landfill. And if you just start from that one place, you'll find that it has a wonderful domino effect. Because if you say, we want to reduce our landfill by 25%, so we're going to select products that are either biodegradable or reusable. Wow. It, it just It's amazing what ends up happening from that. And it'll have so that's sort a of very trickling. practical way to get started is to, to pick one area that you want to make success in this year. And, and what you're saying is once you sort of get in that habit and, and those around you are sharing in your, your vision, um, it, it will start domino effect of its own, and, and you'll find even more ease in becoming green. Exactly. Um, one one uh, one wonderful um, group. Uh, just recently, we were having a conversation. They said, we, you know, we need to just focus on one thing, and and what they ended up selecting is they decided that for their event, no food was going to come from more than a hundred miles away, and it ended up engaging local farmers. It helped the caterer make some very different choices, and as a result, people got wind of this. And they ended up starting to make some suggestions on, listen, I'd like to contribute this, and I'd like to maybe bring, um, uh, how about if we're, since we're doing this, why don't we go ahead and uh, bring in these banana leaves for plates? I have a source. I mean, it was just a, at the end, uh, it, the, their party turned out to be far more sophisticated and fun and uh, they had a great story to tell just by making that one choice. We're not going to get food that has to travel more than 100 miles from 
our location. And that sounds like we listen to that and we think, well, shoot, isn't that you mean food comes from further away than 100 miles? Be surprised uh, the footprint that our food has. So, Well, and, and Georgia, I think uh, you, you're bringing up a, a very important point that often is not on, on the table for a lot of folks, and that's the, the issue of sustainability. Um, and, and, you know, when we think of green, I think a lot of folks immediately uh, turn to recyclables. They, they, they turn to those things that are, that are maybe more understandable. But this whole notion of buying local is not only a good idea for your local economy, but reducing the cost um, to the environment of getting things to you. Very important. Um, and especially, I think, all of us feel how when we look around our community and we look at the need for us to keep invigorating our local economy, what better way to choose going in a pro, in, in a grocery store and identifying, wow, this is a local vendor here. These are local cheeses here. This is, you know, between the milk selections, this milk here is, is a local pro, produce that's being generated. You know, I, I want to get my eggs locally. I don't want to see my eggs shipped in from across the country. You know, uh, supporting those farmers markets. Uh, all of that, not only, as you nailed it, supporting the local economy, but some there's something to be said about also having the sense that if it's closer, it's going to be fresher. And therefore, it's probably going to taste better. It means it's going to be in season. There's all these wonderful other factors that play into this notion of buying local. Right. And, Georgia, a little bit ago you, you mentioned some, some concepts, and you, you actually have, uh, have a, uh, a, a phrase that you use, um, which is LDRR, which is the Landfill Diversion Res- Resource and Recovery. Um, what is that, and, and is that a framework that helps charities uh, think about their holiday events the, the, this season uh, and fundraising events in 2012? Yeah, resource recovery um, is is kind of a a very fun um, opportunity for a nonprofit to really get to know their community better. When we look at an event, we look at things like signage and decorations and food and rentals. And when we think about those products, those resources we've brought into there, the great thing is getting on the phone and, and finding out who's the local charity that, uh, what's the local food bank that would like to get our leftovers that we aren't touching? You know, those platters of untouched lasagnas and brownies, et cetera, so none of that food goes to waste. Um, All of our signage, what local school has a very strong arts curriculum where that signage can now be totally repurposed? You know, we this decor, these 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 flowers. What uh, what nursing home in my community might like me to drop off these flowers for their uh, for their customers that that are living in 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 that environment? And it it, it gives you a, an opportunity to start connecting with your local community and say, we have a party that we're doing, we have an event that we're doing, but we want to make sure that everything that we have actually gets repurposed or gets reused or gets a longer life than that just short window of the party. So that landfill diversion resource recovery is a very, very important piece of learning what's in my community, how do I make sure that everything that I have can be used by somebody else. You know, you've got a sponsor who's going to be dropping off, uh, let's say it's a media partner. This happens a lot. You get advertising in a magazine, but they want to have their magazine at your event. You've got now a stack of leftover magazines that didn't get picked up. Well, guess what? There are all kinds of organizations within a community that would love to have those magazines and be able to extend the life and the use of it use of it. So, um yeah, and then identifying a small a system within your party that you don't um you don't fall into this habit of just using the existing trash cans. We we don't believe 
in this word a trash can because we we think garbage was a word that was made up to get us to to conveniently just take everything and throw it away so uh, when we produce events we just we just create what's called resource recovery centers and we have them hosted by volunteers that we train so that when the public has something in their hand Instead of having 20 garbage cans all over the place, we have selected resource recovery stations in key areas where we kind of have an idea that there may be some waste stream that might be coming through, typically near food, typically where people are sampling, typically at the entrance or exit of a place, and they're hosted. And this gives an opportunity for each person who wants to get rid of something that they feel they don't need anymore to go to that center where there's now a host, and the host directs them, oh, that's paper, that's a magazine that goes in in our paper bin, that's a water bottle that goes in our recycling, and that chewing gum, that has to go in landfill, sorry, we can't recycle that. And as so, a result, so it's, a, it's a matter of, of providing uh, an opportunity uh, to do the right thing, but also some education in what the right thing might be. Yes, and and not only that, the the attendee, the the guest, uh, gets thanked by the volunteer for coming to the resource recovery. So that person, your guests, walk away going, "Wow, that was pretty nice. I was greeted by somebody. I was given some great education. I was thanked for." participating that's a you know whoever gets you really get that uh experience the volunteer who's standing there is getting an opportunity to really see the impact of what it means to recover resources they get the satisfaction of knowing wow i am making a difference in my community because that landfill that's really small what's in my trash can what's really big is my compost can and my recycling can those are being filled up. Landfill hardly has anything in it. And and we've been doing this, uh, Ted, for 10 years, and our average landfill diversion in big events, we throw parties for 20 to 40,000 people, and, and we're over, you know, two or three days. And, you know, our landfill diversion is anywhere from 92 to 98 percent, and 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 that's in all kinds of places across the United States. So that that so may it be is, a, it's not just a, not just a, a California thing. It's not just a, even a big city thing. It, it's something that by putting thought into uh, into these uh, these topics, uh, you can make a difference. Absolutely. And there's so many resources online for people. To now, you can just Google, and you can get all kinds. I mean, not only just in the book. Where I've, you know, with with working with you, Ted, we we went ahead and spelled it all out in great great detail for people in this book, uh, which I hope people would look at as a great gift. Man, everything I need to know about this is right here. But uh, this, even is, this so, is really a, a fantastic book, a terrific resource. Um, we're going to take just a little bit of a, a break, uh, 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 Georgia. We're going to be uh, right back, and uh, and you can uh, call in. I do see a, a few folks on the switchboard. Remember to press the number one to let me know that you'd like to ask a question. That's a 347-324-3080. You can join us in the chat room or email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. And when we come back, we do have a, a couple of questions for you, Georgia. Uh, Laura, hang in there. I, I do have your, uh, your questions. We're just going to do a little bit of housekeeping and make somebody very happy. We'll be right back. One of the wonderful things that we have the opportunity to do, and uh, Georgia was just talking about the book Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. This is a, a terrific resource, and not only for uh, Georgia's extremely well-written and well-resourced chapter number five, but the entire book, is that through the generosity of the R.K. Mellon Foundation, uh, we are able to provide uh, for each of our green shows an opportunity for nonprofit executives to win a copy of the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. Now, this book is available for purchase uh, in most uh, uh, areas that you may buy books, uh, such as Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and others. 
Uh, you can also buy it right at greennonprofits.org. So in our drawing today, for those who have entered uh, into our drawing for a free book through the Green Nonprofits newsletter, I'm very pleased to announce today our winner for a copy of the Green Nonprofit. Uh, the nonprofit guide to going green, rather, uh, is Jean Scrupa Moore. Uh, so, congratulations to Jean. She's in Memphis, Tennessee, and works with the Alzheimer's Day Services Organization. Uh, thank you to the generosity of the R.K. Mellon Foundation, and uh, congratulations to Jean. That autographed copy of the nonprofit guide to going green is now on its way to your office. Uh, and congratulations again. And we're going to head right back to Georgia and page two of the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show. Georgia, we are back, and very patiently uh, I wanted to uh, share a question uh, from uh, Laura in Detroit, um, and she's asking uh, about any fundraising uh, implications for uh, going green. Absolutely. Thank you uh, for that question. The financial implications are great because um, sponsoring a green team or sponsoring resource recovery uh, has been something that we've seen tremendous success. It's wonderful because the opportunity for somebody to be associated with a resource recovery station or the or the green greening of the event in general uh, can look like this. Uh, any time you're setting up a truly uh, resource recovery system in your event or eco stations, however you want them to be uh, referred to, means you have to have signage. So there's branding opportunity. If you use volunteers, to not only host these stations, but also to make sure in the what we call the back of the house, the area where all the waste finally goes for its final uh, placement in debris boxes, you've got volunteers who can wear a T-shirt with that company. You have an opportunity to talk about this company's efforts in greening on your website, in your print collateral, uh, to make announcements from stage. Bottom line is there are a lot of rights and benefits that are can be customized specifically for sponsor, and I'm uh, very proud uh, that Green Festival uh, has Ford. Uh, they are a corporate innovator um, at, at the Green Festivals, and they ha are sponsoring all of the greening for all of the green festivals across the United States. And they made a very, very large investment to have that right. We're very appreciative of that. It's made, it, uh, it's made our ability to make our resource recovery stations look good. Our volunteers look good. Uh, the public is more, um, uh, uh, more aware of our stations um, by having the sponsor, and, and they've helped really monetize this. And um, uh, we have had uh, countless companies come in, Duke Energy, for the um, for a big conference we did in education, stepped on board and made a big financial investment to be the greening sponsor, which even included the carbon offsetting of the total carbon footprint. So sponsors can uh, identify the carbon footprint as something they want to do. You can have a water sponsor. You can have a landfill diversion resource recovery sponsor. You can have a sponsor that's uh, providing uh, a backup for your energy, whether it's biodiesel or some solar uh, secondary power uh, for your event. The affinity that a sponsor gets to have with doing good is an investment that they love. They get to talk about it. It helps with their PR and stories, and it makes your your cost uh, it mitigates your cost. And in sometimes, uh, on some occasions, it can even be a revenue source. So. Sponsors so are a great thing, Georgia, because this this uh, this opens up, and uh, and for those of you who are planning on getting a copy of the nonprofit guide uh, to going green, uh, you'll find uh, you know this is very well outlined, uh, starting on page 87 of the of the book. But this opens up a whole new potential revenue source uh, in addition to um, building those ties with uh, those those uh, sponsors or supporters in your community. 
who might like to have that extra benefit of being seen as not only supporting you as a charity, but supporting you as doing good. Oh, definitely. Um, I think, uh, again, the affinity uh, that a business can have with the greening of the event is a very positive messaging opportunity. I mean, even casinos today are taking an active role in greening their overall operations. So from you got from casinos to uh, companies who are already in the energy business to automotive industries. I mean, it, there isn't a category, basically, uh, left in the United States who doesn't want to have an affinity. Uh, with the greening of the event. The key is to look for companies who have already made some initial commitments, whether it's to their product line or to their corporate culture as a uh, you know top corporate responsible uh, company. Find somebody who's got uh, already a commitment to sustainability and they're already publicizing it on their website. And and once once that egg that individual has already planted that as part of their uh, commitment. That's the type of company to go after and say, help us do better, sponsor our greening of our event. Right. And, George, doesn't that also open up uh, another opportunity for nonprofit organizations to succeed in their desire to be more green is they don't have to do it all themselves. They can align themselves and work with vendors who already have sustainability programs, who already understand and, and are going green themselves so that they can both learn from those vendors but also choose to work with vendors um, who already have those policies in place. Ab- absolutely, and in many times there, I mean, in some cases, you can actually find a sponsor who may actually want to take on the role themselves, that, uh, and you become just a platform for them, an, an additional platform for them to tell their story about sustainability. So it could be, if, for example, in the area of energy, where you're looking to do carbon offsetting, well, you're not going to do that yourself. But it could be somebody like Native Energy or some uh, solar uh, company might say, you know what, we'll do that and we'll, we'll, we'll put together the assessment tool for the energy and we'll reach out to a offsetter to offset that. And we'll pay for the privilege of being branded as that sponsor. Uh, in the case of the Democratic National Convention back in 2008, uh, our company was uh, hired uh, to be the green team. Uh, interestingly enough, even though we were doing the work for the DNC, it was Coca-Cola Recycling who was actually paying for our services. And Coca-Cola Recycling came in with all kinds of uh, tools and signage, et cetera, that made it easier for everybody involved. Um, they stepped in in a big way to make physical contributions to the overall work to be done and uh, and also footed the bill. So it was a great win-win for the DNC, uh, a win-win for Coca-Cola Recycling's division, and of course we got the opportunity to to uh, do the to, to do the work itself and 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 be paid for it. Yeah, and, and so going back to you know what you were you were saying before is I, I think this is a, a matter of putting things on the table and making some decisions. Um, you were saying before uh, about a charity that made a decision to not source food uh, outside of a hundred mile radius. Well, that's a decision that then helps define uh, the event, as as does a decision to only work with vendors who have. Uh, sustainability programs in in place. So I think all of that matters. Uh, George, I just want to share with our listeners today just a program note uh, for the Nonprofit Coach radio show. Uh, the Nonprofit Coach show itself will be back on Tuesday, uh, October 25th, with Stephen Nil uh, as our guest, uh, who will be speaking about nonprofit internet networking. Uh, after that, we'll be back on November 1st with Linda Lysakowski uh, speaking about capital campaigns and big money. Uh, we have a very special show coming on November 8th, uh, where LinkedIn will be our our, our guest. 
uh, talking about all the various ways that nonprofit organizations can use and benefit the LinkedIn platform. Uh, and then we'll be right back here with The Green Show on November 9th. Uh, with Adrian Caps, one of your fellow authors in the nonprofit Guide to Going Green, uh, who's going to be talking about green fundraising uh, as her topic. So that uh, takes everybody uh, through the next several weeks of the nonprofit uh, coach radio show and the green show. As we start looking at, uh, unbelievably, the end of the show here, it's amazing how fast uh, time goes by. What about the recap from your events? So what, what, how, what do you um, advise uh, for charities in, in terms of that short list of things that they want to accomplish? And then how do you recap that and, and communicate that? Because it seems to me that there's, there's a PR factor to this before the event, but also after the event. Yes. So we identify, whenever we go in and, and identify what our green goals are, and let's say in this particular case, we're going to look at the product and do eco-product conversion, and we're going to do uh, landfill diversion. Those are two that are easy and, and ones that most nonprofits um, probably can can see themselves taking steps, small and large, in that direction. For our so, listeners today, Georgia, that's really where you're suggesting if if you're just getting started, that's where you look first. Don't don't look for a long list of a hundred things you're going to do in the next uh, two weeks, but really start with those measurable accomplishments. A, a, absolutely. And so, in the product conversion piece, it'd be really it's very easy to create some metrics. If you say, you know, we're we're committed in our event, we're not gonna we're not gonna serve one of those single sort single serve water bottles. We're going to do pitchers of water and glasses at our event. Well, how do I then quantify and make a story out of that? Well, it's actually pretty pretty um, easy to identify the fact that at most conferences, the average individual will pick up a bottle of water every two and a half hours in a conference setting. So every two and a half hours, somebody is grabbing a bottle of water. The interesting thing is that most people will not even drink all of it. So you'll find that even if, if, if when you're doing an event, uh, most of the time those 12-ounce water bottles will have about one-third to one-half of water still in them when they get tossed. When you make that commitment, you can not only quantify how much plastic that wasn't used, but also you'll find that you'll, you, can, you can multiply the number of plastics times four ounces, and that's how much water you can conserve because that's the typical amount of water that is left behind when somebody is drinking out of a plastic water bottle. If you make a decision to do landfill diversion, i.e., I'm actually going to set up a recycle, a compost, and a landfill station with a host, and I'm going to set up that whole system. There are third-party certifiers, people who you would work through, waste management or the city or a private company, who will pick those things up, and you can insist that I, I need those items to be weighed. There's no extra charge for weighing that. So that way you can come away at the end of your event with third-party certified weights for how much was in each one of those categories, my cardboard category, my recyclables, my white paper uh, or um, um, compost if you're able to do composting in my landfill, which gives you percentages. It's really important, whatever the decision you make, is to identify the metric that you want to use and 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 stay on top of those one or two de- decisions that you make because that's the reporting that you want to say. I want to you want to be able to say, "Hey, we say we conserved, you know, so many hundreds of gallons of water. We eliminated plastic uh the use of plastic at at our event. Uh therefore we we conserved so much energy, uh so much uh material by not having uh, single-use water bottles or, you know, whatever the case is, you need to identify the metric for how you're going to report this back in your public relations. And, Georgia, that sets uh, charities up for success for the next year. We've now reached the... uh 
host of the Green Show uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach, Georgia Malkey, who is the co-founder, partner, and president of Seven Star. You have done an outstanding job today in really elevating these issues and making it very approachable uh, for charitable organizations. And I'm hoping that uh, all around the world, charities that are listening to this particular uh, broadcast of the Green Show are going to be able to take those small steps that you talked about and really make a difference in their holidays, uh, especially, uh, and uh, and in 2012, really turn the corner and having lots more green events. Georgia, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ted. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.